Welcome to StarNet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. My name is Dr. Annie Ranking, and I am a Family Resource Specialist with StarNet Regions 1 and 3. If you'd like to find out more about us, please visit us at starnet.org. Let me start recording. So welcome everyone to StarNet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. I'm really excited to have um, Abby Cook with us today. She is um, an EI provider in the state of Illinois. She is a speech pathologist and she is the owner of the company Communication Junction, which is located in Peoria, but I know that she hits the wider central Illinois area and is more virtual also. So lots of people are joining in in her classes with Communication Junction. So welcome, Abby. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So first, for our listeners, can you just describe who you are professionally, your position, your how you got to where you're at, just overall, who are you professionally? Okay, so as you mentioned, I am a speech language pathologist um, and I uh, specialize in language development. So not speech therapy in terms of like how to make the sounds and how to say the words correctly, but more in terms of just helping kids start talking and that expressive language. So I started out as a speech therapist in an elementary school with primarily deaf and hard of hearing kids from three to fifth grade, um, and then have transitioned into the early intervention population. So I work mostly with that birth to three population. And the way that I interact with those kiddos right now is that through Communication Junction. So Communication Junction is a team of speech language pathologists and early educators. And our goal is to use American Sign Language vocabulary to help promote early communication. So those kiddos who aren't talking yet, um, as well as grow vocabularies for kids who are already talking, just a new and novel way to teach them new vocabulary. Um, So kiddos who are in the early intervention program are able to take our classes through early intervention as what's called a speech group. So that is how I primarily work with the early intervention population right now um, and also get to wear my speech therapy hat, so. Excellent. And when you said grow vocabulary, that just means like expand the child's vocabulary through sign and through vocalization? That's right. That's right. So once kids are using American Sign Language to express their wants and needs, now we need to get them talking more. So sign language is just another tool to help them learn new things, just like people are teaching their kids Spanish, or maybe they use flashcards or, you know, any any other program. Sign is just a tool to teach new words. And so when when they get to that point where we're working to expand their vocabulary, I'm not necessarily looking for them to even be signing back with me. It's just one more, I like to say, it's one more entry on the card catalog in their head for that vocabulary word. Um, and then helping them to expand to two, three conversation, two, three, four word phrases, as well as conversational speech. Excellent. So, Abby, you're part of the early intervention system within the state of Illinois. And so I invited Abby on to kind of talk from a professional point of view um, as um, families transition from an IFSP, an individual family service plan, to an IEP, an individual education plan. So that happens on a child's third birthday in the state of Illinois. And so I invited Abby on to kind of help families understand what to expect in that IEP meeting process, knowing that um, you might be coming from the EI world, which there are some differences from the EI world to the school world. And so, Abby, can you explain some of that for our listeners? 
Absolutely. So I know that for parents, this transition can be very overwhelming because they have been part of kind of a tight-knit, close team of a speech therapist, maybe a developmental therapist, maybe two speech therapists. The kids that I see have me as well as somebody that they see for direct speech therapy, an occupational therapist, a physical therapist, and their case manager or what we call service coordinator here in Illinois. Um, and so they feel like they're going from all of this support to this big big world of unknown. Um, so it can be a super scary transition. Um, so as they make that transition, um, around two, somewhere between two and two and a half, their service coordinator should start talking to them about that transition process. Um, and they should start contacting, the service contact coordinator will contact the school wherever they are, whatever district they fall in. The service coordinator will contact the school district and set up a meeting, a transition meeting, um, where they can kind of get the ball rolling in terms of helping their child transition into the school district. Um, and every school district is a little bit different, so it's hard to give a blanket statement about exactly what's going to happen. And if a child's birthday falls in the summer, that timeline's a little bit different. Or if it's early fall, that timeline's different than maybe a child whose birthday falls in March, let's say. So my suggestion there in terms of getting in touch with the school district is to just, for families, to just stay in contact with their service coordinator and ask questions, ask if the school district has been contacted, ask what the timeline is for their child to get tested, ask if their child is going to get tested. A lot of times the school district might just take the speech therapist's final report and make decisions based on that. So it really, again, depends on the school district, but those are good questions to ask. Like, what can, what can I expect from this school district? Are they going to test my child or are they going to use um, recommendations from the team that knows my child? Because one concern that a lot of parents have, which is super valid, is that my child knows my, their speech therapist, my child knows their occupational therapist, my child knows their developmental therapist, and now I'm going to take them to a new environment, remember they're not even three yet, take them to a new environment and ask a person they've never met, ask them to interact with a person that they've never met, to show them all of the great things that they can do and where they need help. Um, and you know, a lot of times kids are very reserved in that setting. So that's a good question to ask is, is what is that going to look like? How are the, how's the school district gonna receive information? Um, also another great question to ask is, what's the threshold for them to allow my child into whatever program they have? So typically when a child comes into um, an elementary school program, they are they have two two options typically and it's direct services so like so if your kiddo um only receives speech at home right now as an early intervention child they may only qualify for speech services and that might look like you taking your child to the school once a week for a 30 minute session or 60 minute session or whatever they decide. The other program that they have is early childhood education. And that's kind of like a preschool inside of the school and your child has to qualify um, in two of five areas. They have to be deficient in two of five areas in order to participate in that program. Um, and it's just, like I said, daycare, not daycare, like preschool in the school setting with highly qualified teachers. So you need to know what the threshold there is, like what which program should I expect for my child to possibly enter? Um, in early intervention, they have to have a deficiency of, or a delay of 30% in order to qualify 
to receive services. Um, and I don't know what the actual qualification is for the school district. I don't know what they follow. Each one kind of interprets legislation differently in terms of what they what they use for qualification. Um, so once once your service coordinator has set up that meeting or you've kind of figured out what what what's going on there, my next biggest recommendation is to really talk to your service providers in early intervention and get their recommendations on what they think your child should do. Um, some kiddos are still in early intervention, but they're doing really, really well. And we are able to keep them until their third birthday just to make sure that those skills continue to generalize. Um, and so your speech therapist will be very, or whatever service provider, will be very you know, upfront with you and be like, no, they're ready to fly. Let them go. They're going to do great. Um, and typically you have that great rapport with your service provider, you know, to be able to have built that relationship and trust their recommendations. Um, and also your service provider might say, no, I really think that they need services. And at that point, if they, if your child needs to continue to receive services, I really encourage you to get to know and get to understand where your child is developmentally so that you can be an advocate for your child when you enter that IEP meeting. So that's kind of like the process before that transition. Um, and then I think, do you wanna move into kind of like the meeting or? <clears throat> yeah, for sure, what should families expect at a meeting? What are right. they gonna be seeing? What are the conversations they may be hearing or being engaged in? Yep. So again, I really think that parents need to go to that meeting feeling super empowered and understanding where their child is based on their EI, what their EI team has told them. And parents are welcome to bring their, their EI providers with them to the meetings. We're not always invited, um, but if a parent feels like, I really want my child's speech therapist there with me, I feel like maybe they didn't perform well on the test or maybe they like performed really well during the evaluation and it, it's not a true marker of their skills. Either way, you can bring anybody you want with you to that meeting. You just need to let the school know that that, that, that person is, those people are coming. Um, so in the meeting, you know, there'll be a team of, again, every school district's different, but it'll be the parent and um, whoever is in charge of special education in that school district and whoever evaluated the child. Um, <clears throat> and again, if it's a speech only kiddo, they may just take assessments from your early intervention speech therapist and interpret them and have a conversation with you and make a decision. Um, but I have seen more often than not that schools are liking to do their own evaluations of the kids. So conversations that you're going to see are they're going to explain the services that their school has. Um, you may want to kind of look into that before you go into the meeting. <clears throat> Call the school, ask the principal what kind of services you might might expect. Um, ask the, I'm trying, I'm losing my word on what the person's name is, but every school has like a special ed coordinator, course, right? Coordinator it's like a special ed coordinator. Sort. They all have different names. Yeah. But that might be the person that you're talking to. I've worked in schools where the special ed coordinator, each school has a special ed coordinator, and I've worked in districts where there's just one for the whole district. So it just, again, depends. Um, and ask, you know, do your homework before the meeting. Ask what services are available at the school so that when you walk into that meeting, you aren't blindsided by the fact that the school doesn't have services that match what you need or that, um, 
your child is going to be going to some services that you don't even understand kind of thing. Um, and so <clears throat> strictly speaking from like a speech therapist standpoint in, in that meeting, the therapist will hopefully have already given you her report, his or her report, and you would have had time to read over that. Um, and then the therapist, just like in any of your IFSP meetings, should go through that report with you and talk to you about where your child's strengths are, where your child's weaknesses are, and then how does that fit educationally? So the thing that you have to remember in that transition from early intervention to the school district is that early intervention's um, goal <clears throat> is to help your family communicate. How can your child best function in your family and how can your family work together to meet that goal? Once you switch over to the school district, there, the, the goals and the strengths and weaknesses that we're looking for have to directly impact their education. So <clears throat> you might be working on your child's intelligibility in the early intervention program and they get to the school set and you think at home, like I'm the only person that can understand them. And you get to the school setting and they say, well, at this age, your child should only be about 70 to 80% intelligible. So that is not going to impact them academically. We're not going to see them for services right now. And can um, you define intelligible for our listeners? Sure. So intelligible is how well your child is understood by a non-familiar listener. So are they intelligible? Can you understand what they're saying 50% of the time? Can you understand what they're saying 80% of the time? And typically parents can understand their kids somewhere between 80 and 95% of the time, but an unfamiliar listener has a much harder time understanding them. So we kind of go to we go to the rating for the unfamiliar listener. Um, so that's just one example of how it might be very relevant in your family environment, but not relevant in the educational environment. And I and I have seen that happen several times. And what I what I always suggest to the parents is like be an advocate for your child. Ask when you can have them reevaluated. Ask when um, you know what's that window. So. For example, I just I last year I had a child age out in February and they said and he still needed services, in my opinion. And um, they said that he was, you know, performing on track and they weren't going to provide him services. So mom and I had a conversation. She called the school district back and said, when can I bring him back? Like, what's the time frame for you to want to see progress? And they said, bring him back in August and we'll reevaluate him. So she brought him back in August. He had not made any progress because he hadn't been receiving services. And now he's able to attend programming. So it's frustrating because there was a six-month loss in terms of service providing by public education. Um, <clears throat> but that mom was an advocate for her child and able to, you know, kind of be that tapping the school district on the shoulder um, and getting what, what her child needed. So I think I got off track. Um, things to expect at the IEP meeting. So once the therapist goes through the report with you, all of the therapists go through the report with you, they will give you their recommendations on what they think, what services they think your child needs. And it may be they don't need any services. It might be direct services with a speech therapist, occupational therapist, or physical therapist. X number of times a week. And it might be this the EC program where they're going five days a week um, to an early childhood classroom and receiving those OTPT speech services that they need in, in either a in-class or pull-out way. Um, and so as those different programs are um, presented to you, 
that's the time to ask questions about them and and what what are your rights and and things like that. So for example, some families get very um, overwhelmed with the fact that my child has been home with me every single day for the last three years receiving these services, OTPT speech. Um, and now you want them to go to an ECE classroom all day, five days a week. You know, that's a huge transition. And um, I have seen lots of school districts work with parents in terms of making that an, a nice fluid transition. Maybe the kiddo only comes three days, maybe we do half days and we work up to it. So the the although it seems scary to make that transition, the people that the the professionals that you're talking to are therapists, they want to help your child at heart. And so just have those conversations with them and be honest with them about, about what you do and don't understand um, in terms of that. So once you go through the reports and they make their recommendations, um, typically that usually happens somewhere between a month and like three days before their third birthday, somewhere in that time frame, And then the services should start directly after their third birthday as long as the school is in session. So if you have a summer birthday, then you have to wait till August kind of thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. and in your experience have, so I was a former early childhood special education teacher and I know that when I would be in meetings where families would come from the IFSP process to the IEP process, the reports seemed very overwhelming. And so what I'm hearing you say is really get to know the reports, get to know the services and really empower yourself with those questions. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that in, in early intervention, I feel like, as therapists, we really take the time to explain the reports to families because we have a whole hour with them. We have a lot of time. We've built a rapport. Um, in the school district, it's not that the therapists don't want to do that. They just have a lot of time constraints on them. These therapists have caseloads that are very high um, and lots of meetings, and they still have to go to the meetings and they still have to see their kids. And so sometimes they don't always take that time to explain the reports to you. I know that I was also, uh, you know, prone to do that too. You just think people have an understanding that of the same things that you know to be true. Um, and so I just encourage families to stop. Can you explain that to me? What does that mean? Those kinds of things. And therapists are always happy to do that. You just kind of get into, you know, your role and doing, and doing your job. So yes, parents need to be empowered. Ask your early intervention providers lots of questions. Ask them, in terms of speech, I would say things like, you know, expressively, where is my child? How much does my child, um, how well are they able to communicate? What areas of their um, expressive language, so that's what you say and do, what areas of their expressive language are you seeing that they still need to work on? So specific examples are really great. And receptively, what my child understands, where are you seeing that they have strengths and weaknesses? And um, that will help you when therapists start going through reports and talking about specific subtests that kids do well on or have weaknesses in. That will help you understand those a little bit better, too. Excellent. Well, this has been a lot of great information, and I know our listeners are um, really going to be able to take a lot of this information and use it. Um, and so are there any kind of last hints, last things that you wish I would have asked that I didn't ask and um, kind of bringing it into really focusing on how to support families? Yeah, I don't think anything that um, you didn't ask. I just always encourage parents to take the lead. Always be an advocate. Um, we talked a little bit about 
the transition from that transition meeting from early intervention to the school district. And a lot of times parents will say, I haven't heard from the school district. I haven't heard from the school district. And although the service coordinator has made that connection for you, sometimes things get lost in the shuffle or their timeline, the school district's timeline isn't the same as yours. Um, and so I always encourage parents like, also, again, be an advocate for your child, reach out to the school district, see where they are, see where your child is on the list, those kinds of things. Um, sitting, sitting back and passively waiting for it to happen doesn't always work that well in, in the public education setting. So just always being a good advocate for your kids. Excellent, thank you so much. And then Abby, can you just give us a little bit more about your um, company for families who might want to reach out um, and maybe not be part of the EI process? So I know that Communication Junction works with families outside of um, early intervention also. So um, just some of the services you provide at Communication Junction. Yeah, absolutely. So the early intervention population is about 20% of the population of kids that I work with through Communication Junction. So Communication Junction, I kind of explained what our premise is and the way that we um, provide that is through caregiver child classes. They're eight weeks in length. Um, so think about like a music class or a music class is usually the most um, comparable program same kind of thing, but our focus rather than teaching concepts of music is teaching concepts of language. And so uh, we really work with families providing good tips on language development and how to implement that at home to help your children be as successful as possible. Um, so we provide face-to-face -face classes in both Peoria, Washington, and Bloomington, Illinois. And then we have virtual classes as well, presented live through Zoom um, for anyone anywhere. So those are called our sign and play classes. And then we do have another program called Sign and Sing Storytime that we um, present through libraries throughout central Illinois. And now that we're here in the middle of the pandemic, most of those are also live through Zoom. So we have families all over the country joining us for those also. Um, and that in that program, you can expect a 30 minute story time, three stories, bubbles, songs, movement, that kind of stuff, just to kind of get your feet wet um, for signing so that you can then come and join us for a sign and play class and kind of dive deeper into your child's communication. And what is your recommendation to start signing with your children? As soon as you're ready. It's never too early. So um, think about how we talk with our kids as soon as they're born, but we don't expect them to start saying their first word until somewhere between 10 and 14 months is the average. Um, same is true with sign language. You can start signing as soon as you're ready. And your child, you can expect your child to sign back somewhere between four and 10 months, depending on when you started signing with them. So they can always sign earlier than they can talk. Um, but because we are naturally born talkers, it seems foreign to introduce sign language and not have immediate feedback. But just like it takes children's brains time to process spoken language, it also takes their brains time to process a manual language, um, but they're also able to access it earlier than spoken language. So I always tell parents, right time to start signing, but right now is the best. So if you're interested and you're ready, now is the right time. Make sure you've got all of your routines and schedules and you feel confident in, in parenting your child and meeting their basic needs, and then let's start adding some signs. And for the final question, what's the age range of um, children that you provide these classes to? Yep. So um, the majority of families that join us have kiddos who are from age 
zero, three months typically is when we start to see families, three months to three years. But we also have a pre preschool program that's actually kind of exploded during the pandemic. As kids aren't going to school, they're, they're joining us for the preschool classes. And so we really go from three months to five and a half years. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for providing all of this information today. Um, in the episode notes, I will have Communication Junction contact information, website. Um, I know Facebook and social media, so that will be provided to you listeners in the episode notes. But other than that, Abby, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to our podcast from Starnet Regions 1 and 3. If you'd like to find out more about us, please visit us at starnet.org.